0: How did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger.
2: Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Hope you're enjoying your summer. We've got a great show lined up for you this week. Coming up in our first segment, it's Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports. He'll join us from London, where he's actually there covering the Olympics for Yahoo Sports. But we'll talk about the NCAA sanctions against Penn State. Charles Robinson has been on top of the Penn State story from the beginning, one of the first reporters to break the Jerry Sandusky scandal. My conversation with Charles Robinson discussing NCAA sanctions against Penn State coming up in our next segment. Gary Stevenson, the president and CEO of Pac-12 Enterprises. He oversees the Pac-12 TV network. We'll catch up with him. They're set to launch their network on August 15th. What will that look like? We'll find out from Gary Stevenson in segment three. In segment four former Olympic hero, Dominique Dawes, gymnast. She will stop by as the Olympics are underway in London. Dominique Dawes reflects on her Olympic career. Also, she's out trying to help people become more fit. We'll talk to Dominique Dawes. After that, it's Damian Lillard, the rookie point guard for the Portland Trailblazers, co-MVP of the Vegas Summer League. Off to a great start. He's going to get the reins as a rookie point guard of the Portland Trailblazers. Comes from a small school, Weber State. How did he go from Weber State, an unheard of, probably a second-round pick a few months ago, to the number 6 pick in the NBA draft? We'll find out when we talk to Damian Lillard. Then we'll wrap up the show with Steven Jackson. Pro Bowl running back for the St. Louis Rams. He's a guy, really interesting guy, in addition to being a terrific running back for the St. Louis Rams. He loves architecture. He likes to travel. He's involved in film. Pretty diverse guy. We'll talk to Steven Jackson on today's show couple of other notes, visit my sports business blog, download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can become our Facebook friend or follow me on Twitter. Those links also on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm on Twitter at SBRadio. Coming up next, we get it started with Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports. You're listening to Sports
0: Business Radio. This is SBR, back with more after this. Don't stop. Don't stop. With- it's the age of new media
2: and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter, and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EverythingIsOnTheRecord.com.
0: This is Sports Business Radio.
2: Let's go to the phones right now. Charles Robinson, investigative reporter with Yahoo Sports is joining me. Charles, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? Good. So you're in, in London, huh?
1: I am in London
2: for the Olympics. Wow. Well, give
1: me your. Nothing happened. Well,
2: (laughs) (laughs) give me your initial reaction to the news today that we got from the NCAA—the sanctions handed out against Penn State.
1: Well, you know, going back to yesterday when, you know, I I had some sources essentially call me and who I spoke to about you know what the sanctions were going to be, and they. Continually refused to say, you know, exactly what the sanctions were, and you know, except that they were going to be, you know, so terrible, and they're going to be, you know, crippling scholarship reductions, a multi, uh, you know, multi-year bull ban, and all this. And you know, the reasoning that that they kept going back to, or at least the the primary source kept going back to, is I can't tell you the specific, you know, numbers and the total scope of this because the person who is standing up and, and essentially, you know, putting these out, you know, putting this cross the bear on Penn State and, and it's such a historic moment that the words need to come from that person's mouth. And he's talking about Mark Emmert, And, you know, the point is, you know, just because these were, were so significant and so unprecedented, it's one of the first times I've had in a really long time where literally a multitude of sources who had the information? Who admitted they had the information? Simply would not relay the specific numbers. And then when I heard it, um, it all made sense to me. And it's probably you know you never want to admit that as a reporter that there's good reason for someone to not tell you something. But I think when I heard Mark Emmert you know say those numbers, um, it's it really was staggering. I mean I think that was probably the most accurate word I would heard the previous day. It's it's as staggering as it could possibly be, and for for so many reasons, not just. On the football field, but I mean, even financially, I know we want to talk about sixty million dollar fine and a number, you know, another thirteen or fourteen piled on by the the Big Ten when you remove that that revenue um, for a four year period. It's a, it's worse than that because this is something that is going to impact revenue streams uh, from alumni. This is something that's going to impact revenue streams from their marketing and their merchandising. You know, naming rights. I mean, a million different things. And then on top of that, people need to remember, you're not just taking away sixty million dollars from Penn State, which is, you know, as Mark Emmert said, one year's gross total revenues from football. Remember where that sixty million dollars went. It went to fund Title nine sports. It went to fund basically every other sport at Penn State that's in the red. They still have to fund those sports, they, and they now have, don't have the money to do it. So not only are you losing the sixty million, but you're losing the money that you know you would have had to use to to fund these other sports. So. It's um. It was probably the most, I, I don't know, I've never seen anything like it. And, and as I told everyone after that, you know, this is the new death penalty. Forget SMU, that's an archaic uh, version of this death penalty. What you just saw at Penn State, that's now the new normal. That's the new death penalty.
2: Charles Robinson, investigative reporter of Yahoo Sports, is joining me. i got to tell you, Charles, the thing that surprised me the most was the vacation of wins from 1998 to 2011, 112 wins. To me, that was essentially the NCAA saying, F you to Joe Paterno and the Paterno family.
1: It was definitely, um, you know, I think if, if there's anything that happened that really struck a political note, I think it was probably the vacation of those wins. Because NCAA had no you know, no doubt what what was happening there. They knew that when they did this, Joe Paterno was gonna fall out of out of the top ten in terms of the all time winning his coaches. Um, I think when Mark Emmert talked about, you know, how there were, you know, the the fundamental things that were broken and really brought this upon Penn State and brought Mark Emmert to this absolutely unprecedented decision of, of stepping in and, and essentially levying a, a presidential sanctioning Within that, I think Mark Emmert was sending a pretty clear signal that we're not just holding Penn State, the institution, responsible for this, but we're going to hold Joe Paterno responsible for this as well, because in many ways, Joe Paterno was the institution. And that, when you strip away those wins, um, that is really the the sort of political stance that the NCAA took against Joe Paterno, stripping him of a very, very storied part of his legacy and a standing amongst those winningest coaches. Um, that would continue to be, I guess, the remainder of, of you know, the shining portion of, of his football career. But, um, yeah, very big part of, of Joe Paterno's legacy wiped away.
2: Charles, as part of this, players can transfer and play immediately at other schools. Aren't we looking at a team basically comprised of walk-ons at Penn State for the next few years?
1: Well, you know, I, I think some of this is going to come down to what's in the hearts of some of the kids who are on that team now, you know, there's, I could see a scenario where there's a lot of loyalty from the players who are in the program now and feel like they want to remain loyal to that program and whether or not they play one extra game a year, they're going to say, you know, that doesn't matter to us. We've been here. We're in the program. We are Penn State. And so we're going to stick it out. Even if that means we're never going to see the postseason again, which they won't. And I think the the more difficult part, even more difficult, than the transfers is when you look at the 15 scholarship cap over a four year period. That essentially means that when uh, when Penn State hits that year four, they're going to have 65 scholarship players because you're going to peel away, you know, or excuse me, not even 65. You're going to you're looking at essentially 45 scholarship players if you can't replace those scholarships, and that's what a cap is. You can't replace. You know, every year you're bringing in 15 kids. I'm sorry, I guess you would have, you're going to have 60 after four years, but still, you know, 60 kids um, on a scholarship roster um, in the fourth year of no bowls. Um, I don't know how they're going to recruit. I don't know how you can recruit kids to come in and saying, guess what? You know, particularly this year's recruiting class and next year, you're not going to play a bowl in your career. And then beyond that, even in year two and year three, when you're bringing in recruits who are going to get out from under that four-year bowl sanctioning, you have to then convince them that, hey, we'll make a bowl in year five. We'll make a bowl in year six, and you're still going to have a postseason. I think you're going to have a really tough sell, particularly when it comes to the elite kids, five-star kids, four-star kids, who are going to look at Nebraska and the Big Ten, who are going to look at you know, Michigan, Ohio State, you know, Michigan State, other programs that have had a lot of prominence in recent years who can say, hey, look, you can play in the postseason here. You don't have to deal with that mess at Penn State. You don't have to deal with, you know, this is going to be a cloud that hovers over that program for a long time. I don't know how Penn State's going to be able to recruit those kids in. And to me, that's what's even scarier. You talk about after four years. They don't just all of a sudden in year five say, oh, we're powerhouse Penn State again. No, they're going to have to claw their way back into – the Big Ten elite and against programs that at that point will probably have firmly established themselves as the cream of the crop in the Big Ten.
2: Yeah, I mean, I talked to some people earlier today that said it's going to be two decades before Penn State is able to recover from this as far as their football program. Would you agree with that?
1: I think it's hard to imagine. You know, it's it's hard to, to come up with, you know, a finite number of years because when SMU happened, you know, there was a one-year shutdown, and you never could have figured that it would take decades for SMU, you know, to get itself, you know, righted in any kind of a way in Division One football. And and so it's hard to it's hard for me to look at Penn State. And say, you know, what, it's going to take twenty years. But then at the same time, like I said, the revenue thing is going to be an issue because you're going to have a very large void for a lot of years of wins. And, and I think the void of wins means less dollars in your program. It's a fact of life. And less dollars in your program, you see programs struggle. Now, you could see boosters of Penn State basically say, you know what, we're going to shoulder the load here and make sure that the money still continues to flow into Penn State so that when the four years end, the coffers are full and, and Penn State can operate normally. Um, but even then, there's still the talent void, the talent suck. And for Penn State to be able to bounce back after just that four years, they would have to be able to do what USC has done with its own scholarship cap and basically land the cream of the crop in every single year, which is kind of what USC is doing right now. I mean, they're, they're hitting that 15 scholarship limit, but the 15 guys are going to be amongst the most elite at their position. But the difference is, you know, USC says, hey, no postseason sanctions for us. We can win the national championship. We can go to our conference title game. We can go to, you know, hey, that awesome playoff that's coming around the corner. USC can put, be part of what's going to be the greatest college football bonanza in the postseason ever, whereas Penn State's going to have to say, we can't go to the Big Ten championship game. We can't go to the national championship game. We can't even go to a bowl. And that's really hard to sell to those best players.
2: Just a few minutes left with Charles Robinson, investigative reporter of Yahoo Sports. Charles, the NCAA, really, they've never found themselves in a position like this before. This was unprecedented. Uh, have they morphed into morality police here? Does this open up Pandora's box for them, where they've now got to take a stronger position when ruling against programs in the future? Or will people say, you know what, this was totally different than anything they've ever dealt with. This was a one-time, hopefully, uh, situation.
1: I, I think it's different, and here's why. Um, going back to SMU and talking about their, you know, death penalty versus what is essentially Penn State's death penalty. You had a situation at SMU where you were talking about garden variety violations. Even if they were gross violations, they were still garden variety violations. You're talking about boosters paying kids. You're talking about, you know, some academic things. You're talking about things that happen on a fairly, you know, a a, a fairly, I don't want to say a significant level in college football, but it is a normalcy. There's a level of normalcy to those violations in college football. What happened at Penn State, there's no normalcy to that. We've never seen anything like that. I have never seen anything like that almost in any sport, period, Um, and particularly to that level that we found out, you know, when when all the facts came out. Um, So I I think you're going to have the NCAA saying, this was completely special, completely out of the realm of any type of normalcy with the NCAA, and that's why this action was warranted. Beyond the fact that, hey, Penn State commissioned its own report, and when Mark Emmer got up there and said, "Hey, we're taking this step," but uh, you know, Penn State has signed off on this, which is essentially what they said in NCAA speak. That Penn State gave it the thumbs up. That's essentially a self-report as far as the NCAA is concerned. They said, "Hey, we want to do this to you." you're going to agree to it, and Penn State agreed to it, and the NCAA cited the report that Penn State essentially, um, you know, paid for itself. So, it everything about this, even the investigative phase, the criminal phase, all of it was so out of the ordinary, so extraordinary, that I could definitely see Penn State saying, you know what, we haven't, or the NCAA saying, we haven't opened Pandora's box. It was open for us for the first time ever, and, and we simply, you know, took a stand, and I think if fans take anything out of this with the NCAA, at the very least, I mean, you can take away this. Mark Emmert saw an opportunity to, I guess, seize the reins and and almost see a leadership moment from the Penn State or from from the NCAA from the top that the president never gets because it's so restrictive what the president can do in the NCAA. And I think he took that moment and said, "You know what? I'm going to be the guy that steps forward and forces this."
2: Do you think that in the future, maybe? We will see Mark Emmert in more of a commissioner-like role where, I mean, I know he's been frustrated because he hasn't been able to seize that power. Do you think that in the future, maybe he's able to call the board of directors, the committee together more or be given that power, a commissioner-like power to make change?
1: No, I don't don't think he wants to do it. You know, I don't think it's – you're right. I I think Mark Emmert definitely has been frustrated. I think he doesn't like – how slow the pace is for a lot of things. I think he was really disappointed when that two thousand dollars a year stipend for athletes was struck down. Um, but at the same time, I think he knows he's not seeking, you know, he's not seeking. I, I guess to draw political, you know, uh, uh, sort of a line politically, he's not seeking the ability to run off the war anytime he wants and then get the backing later. I don't, I, I don't think that's what he's doing here. I think he said, "Look, it's an extraordinary moment that calls for extraordinary measures." I'm going to be the guy that's going to step up and do this, despite the fact that I'm going to face Flack you know, doing it. I'm going to do it. And the reason I don't think he's going to do that in the future is we may never see another Penn State in the future. We may never see it during his term. And beyond that, he's got an enforcement staff at the NCAA that's paid to do a job. And believe me, I don't think there's any doubt that that enforcement staff would look at Mark Emmert and say, what are you doing? You know, we're 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 supposed to go through a process. We have bylaws. We have a certain methodology set up to to operate, and you're now circumventing all of that. What's the purpose of having an enforcement staff if you're not going to use it?
2: Last question for you, you know more than anyone out there because you're dealing with scandal in collegiate sports every day that so many of these universities operate inside of a bubble. They live in their own world. They think that they're uh, exempt from punishment. Do you think what happened today sends a loud and clear message to other universities all the way up to the president and the board of directors so that nothing like this ever happens again? Or do you think that there will still be programs that say, you know what? Winning is what takes precedence over anything else.
1: I think that when it comes to something like the Jerry Sandusky situation, um, you know, when it comes to any level of criminality, and we're, we're talking about things that go beyond Jerry Sandusky, and, you know, we may even see a chilling effect when it comes to, you know, athletes getting arrested, you know, coaching, you know coaches getting involved in, in really unsavory situations. I think, at least from a moral standpoint, I'm sure you're going to see more colleges, uh, universities, more chancellors, more presidents sit up in their seat when there is a quote unquote moral controversy involving their their program. And I'm talking about I'm not talking about pain players. I'm not talking about so and so got a car. You know, I'm talking about, you know, assault. I'm talking about, you know, battery. I'm talking about Lawrence Phillips dragging his girlfriend down a flight of stairs. I think you know, we're now entering you know an era of the NCAA where you're probably going to see more people in power positions sit up and go. You know what? We're not going to just yield to a coach when it comes to a player doing this or a coach you know a coach being involved in this. In certain situations, I think you will see college presidents take a little bit more of an active role when they feel like a, a, a morality line has been blatantly crossed.
2: Charles, thank you so much for taking the time to join us from London. I know you're going to be busy out there with the Olympics. People can follow you on Twitter at Charles Robinson. Any other places where they should follow your great work? Uh, we
1: have uh, Yahoo Sports OLY. Uh, Yahoo Sports OLY is where I will be posting uh, constant Olympic uh, Twitter updates since I got yelled at it for being a spoiler on my, on my regular. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, best of luck to you over there. Be safe, and uh, we'll talk to you when you get back. Keep up the great work, and thank you again for taking the time.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brian. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's
2: the Commissioner of the NBA.
0: It is always a pleasure, Brian.
2: Bill Hancock. He's the Executive Director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the Executive Vice President and General Manager of the World Champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the President of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Folster. He's the... The head coach of the Miami
0: Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger.
2: We are scheduled to be joined shortly by Gary Stevenson, the president of the Pac-12 Networks. Pac-12 Enterprises is what they call it officially. All the digital realm, the TV realm. They're going to launch nationwide August 15th. More than 40 million subscribers across the country will have unmatched access to the Pac-12 conferences, including every football and men's basketball game. I'm excited about it. There's going to be seven networks. So there's a national channel, and then there's regional channels. There's Pac-12 Los Angeles, Pac-12 Arizona, Pac-12 Washington, Pac-12 Oregon, Pac-12 Bay Area, and Pac-12 Mountain. And then there's the overall channel, the national channel that will feature the football games and the basketball games. I'm joined now by Gary Stevenson, the president of the PAC-12 network. Gary, how are you? Great, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm sure you're a busy guy. August 15th is the launch date for the network. How's everything coming along?
3: Well, we're rocking and rolling. You know, not only we uh, launch in one national network, but we're also uh, launching six regional networks and a digital network on August 15th. So, so uh, we're going fast and furious here, getting ready.
2: And talk about the man and woman power behind this. I imagine you've had to hire a lot of people and put people in different places. How's that process been?
3: Well, I started on September the 7th, and I was the first employee. Uh, we have 100 now. When we launch on August 15, we'll have a, a 120. Uh, and really, when you do something on a short timetable like this, my job is to be a coach, and great coaches uh, go out and get great athletes. So my job has been to go around and recruit people that have done this before in each area. Uh, and I can tell you, the group of people that we put together, their experience, have done it before. And so uh, so we're, we're, we're getting ready. I mean, obviously, we're going 100 miles an hour, but we're getting ready. And uh, I'm, I have complete confidence that, uh, that people are going to like what they see.
2: Now you made a deal today with the NCTC, the National Cable Television Cooperative. Tell us about that deal.
3: Well, the NCTC is is, a, is an organization that that really serves as a co-op. So similar to say the Pac-12 conference that takes the television rights of the universities, and then we go we go uh, uh, make an agreement with ESPN and Fox. It's similar in the world of of cable, where where a lot of small to mid sized cable companies put all their their uh their, their rights together and then they, they negotiate. So the co op, the NCTC, negotiates on behalf of all of these different systems around the country. A lot of them which quite frankly are are in our geographic footprint. So the what the agreement does is it takes care of all the economic and non economic terms we, we sign that agreement, and then we send out launch forms to the different systems uh, around the country, and, and then they, they sign up, and a lot of them will be carrying our networks.
2: Now, Gary, I know you've got deals with Comcast, Time Warner Cable, Cox Communications, and the Bright House Networks. You don't have deals yet, as I understand it, with DirecTV and the Dish Network. How are those conversations coming along?
3: We don't. You know, the... the uh those four cable companies, which 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 actually really put us in business last year, they passed forty million homes. There's about there's, there's right in the neighborhood of a hundred million homes in this country, and they passed forty million homes. And there have been very very few launches like ours where you have that much distribution at the beginning. Now we add the NCTC, and we are in constant conversation with the satellite distributors, the telco distributors. Uh, And so what what I would say is we're cautiously optimistic, uh, and I only say cautious because I'm only 50% of the equation, but what carries the day, Brian, is great content. I mean, fans want to see great content, and what we bring to the table with our networks is great content. We'll have over 35 football games. Uh, In the first four weeks of the season, we'll have every Pac-12 team on our networks We'll have three of the four home openers for the new coaches. Uh, We'll have Oklahoma State at Arizona in week two. We'll have Houston at UCLA in week three. We'll have um, Cal at USC. USC will likely be the number one team in the country with the Heisman Trophy hopeful Matt Barkley. So that kind of programming and that kind of content is what usually carries the day, and that's why I'm cautiously optimistic because fans want this, and – you know, generally in today's world, because fan have, fans have options, if fan, fans want it, they typically get it, and they seek it.
2: So if I'm someone who has TV or the Dish Network, I should call one of those entities and say, look, I want the Pac-12 Network and make my voice heard, correct?
3: Well, I mean, that's, that's each, each consumer's decision, but, but, but I will tell you that it matters to those companies to know what fans want uh it, it it as they're thinking about as they're thinking about uh you know whether they want to whether they want to put us on they 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 like to know what the consumers think and quite frankly there's been a lot of noise on that subject there've been a lot of fans that have already called and 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 the social networks, if you follow the social networks uh, and the viral campaign around this, there's a lot of lot of activity, a lot of discussion about, gee whiz, are we going to get this? If we don't get it, we're going to change and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of fun to watch because there's a lot of energy. I mean, the Pac-12 fans, quite frankly, feel like they've been underserved over the years. And so all we really did here is is to satisfy a consumer need. People want this stuff.
2: Gary Stevenson, the president of Pac-12 Enterprises, is joining me. We're talking about the launch of the Pac-12 Network. On August 15th, they'll launch to more than 40 million subscribers across the country. So let's talk about these seven channels. You've got the overarching national channel, but then you've got Pac-12 LA, Pac-12 Arizona, Pac-12 Washington, Pac-12 Oregon, Pac-12 Bay Area, and Pac-12 Mountain. Talk about those channels and what we'll see on those channels, those regional channels.
3: So it starts with uh, all seven networks will have 350 of the same events. So all seven networks will have 35 football games, 140 men's basketball games, and then about, you know, that the the rest of those will be the best of the best Olympic sports. And as you know, the Pac-12 really excels in Olympic sports. I mean, I just read a statistic the other day that there will be 200, over 230 Pac-12 uh, affiliated athletes at the London Olympics uh, in a, wow. in, uh, in a couple weeks. I mean, that's an amazing statistic. Uh, the Pac-12 has won 451 national championship over the years. Our, our nearest competitor is the Big Ten, and they won 240. So our Olympic sports, you know, our volleyball, our baseball, our soccer, both on the men's and women's side, our women's softball, across the board, that programming is is uh, the best competition in the country. So when we say we're putting on football, basketball, Olympic sports, these are serious Olympic sports, and you're going to see some of the big time athletes com- competing. Um, so 350 of those events will be across all seven networks. And then on each regional network, we'll add another 50 events from two schools. So in Oregon, for example, you'll have 350 of the national, national games that we talked about and then 50 events from Oregon and 50 events from Oregon State. In addition, uh, in the regional, we'll have some some programming that is indigenous to that state, uh, to both of those schools. So, you know, as you can imagine, the the neat thing about this is not only do you get a national look, but you get some hyper-local programming as well.
2: So will there be, like, coaches' shows or, you know, a review of the game the week before? Are we talking that kind of programming?
3: Yeah, in fact, we'll have a coaches' show on Tuesday night that – We're very pleased that Ronnie Lott's going to be one of the guys that's going to be uh, hosting that show, but there will be a a coach's show with specific local programming as well that will be interwoven into that show. There will be some of the great archival games, uh, like I was just giving you the Oregon example. There will be great games that were played at Oregon and Oregon State. Um, and over time, there'll be more and more content that will be produced from those campuses, because, as you know, it's just not the 350 events. There's so much, so much more going on campuses that we can include on the regional basis.
2: Gary, you've got Ronnie Lott, as you mentioned, Summer Sanders, Rick Neuheisel. They'll be uh, three of your more prominent broadcasting faces on the network. Uh, How do you choose the three of them?
3: It's interesting, you know. One of the things that we want to do as we're as we're choosing talent is to bring new, fresh faces uh, to to Pac-12 programming, and all three of those are new, fresh faces. I mean, it was funny when when we had our our, our announcement announcing Rick Neuze, Neuheisel. The first comment he made is he said, "You know, if uh, w- when I called Gary and talked to him about being on the network, I said if you want a guy that's been." Uh, if if you want a guy that's been fired at three universities and booed at all twelve stadiums, <laughs> he said, "I'm your guy." <laughs> so, and it, Rick is so, so much fun. But if you think about Rick Neuheisel, Rick Neuheisel is a brilliant offensive mind. He knows the quarterbacking position as well as you know just about anybody in the country. So those kinds of insights, what he can bring to the table, plus his dad taught at Arizona State, he played at UCLA, he went to law school at USC, and he's coached at three different schools. So there's nobody that knows the Pac-12 better than Rick Neuheisel. So the combination of his knowledge of the conference and his knowledge of the game, particularly offense, was very appealing to us. Ronnie Lott is Ronnie Lott. I mean, to have a guy who played at USC, one of the greatest players in the history of the NFL, who who has particular, particular insights about defense, very, very important to us. Summer Sanders, not only is she a great Olympic athlete from Stanford, but she also is a very well-recognized television personality. Um, so that's the kind of thing we're looking at. And, and when you go sport by sport, we're going to be making some other announcements about faces of the Pac-12. And I think, I think what you'll see is these are people that really care a lot about Pac-12, much like our fans.
2: Gary Stevenson, the president of Pac-12 Enterprises, joining me. We're talking about the launch of the Pac-12 Network on August 15th. Uh, I know in my conversations with Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12 previously, he's a big digital guy. So we've talked about you know broadcast TV, but as far as digital online, on your iPad, on your mobile devices, how will people be able to consume this content?
3: Well, um, one of the neatest things that we're doing, and it it is really uh, kind of an advancement on technologies that doesn't happen all the time, is that all of our programming, if you are an authenticated subscriber to one of our affiliates, you'll also be able to get our programming on what we call TV Everywhere, which means on any device you have. So if you use a PC, uh, you can get the programming on PC. If you use an iPad, if you use a cell phone, Um, over time, uh, all those things won't be available at launch, but over time on any device that you have you'll be able to get this programming and that's 850 events. In addition to that, we're taking all the athletic websites for the schools over the next three years and we're bringing them under one umbrella at the conference so that similar to what the professional leagues do, we'll serve as a portal, a gateway for all 12 schools. And then finally, in addition to the 850 events that we're putting on linear television, there's another 1400 events on our campuses that we can stream. So think about all the events and all everything that's going on on campus that we can, that we can put on our digital network. So we really believe the digital side of the business will be a, a, a big growth area, especially since we're located on the west coast and we have so many people that are so plugged into new technology.
2: So you'll offer events digitally that won't be on the TV network. Am I understanding that correctly?
3: Yes, eventually. Uh, In the first year, that will be a limited number, but over time, that will will grow.
2: And let's talk about people. I know one of the other, you talked about Pac-12 fans feeling underserved. I think some of the Pac-12 athletes and coaches have felt like, hey, people on the East Coast think that we're driving around in covered wagons and they don't know what we're doing out here. What kind of exposure will the network have on the East Coast? Who have you done deals with out there so that the Pac-12 gets its right exposure to the New York media and some of the powerful media on the East Coast?
3: Well, the agreement that we have with the, with the four cable companies that we talked about uh, really uh, gives interesting coverage. So in the, in the home market where the schools are, it will be on basic cable. In the states where our schools are, but outside of the home market, it'll be on what we call digital basic outside of the the states where the pac twelve conference is, it's likely to be offered by the cable companies on sports tiers but then you know when we think about satellite and the telcos and the kind of business model they have, it's conceivable down the road with them that we could have much broader distribution outside of the six states so uh, we think that if you're a, if you're a Duck fan in New York City, uh, you'll have a, an opportunity to get this programming, uh, not only not only on your television, but also on your digital uh, on your digital devices.
2: So it's similar to if we here in Oregon wanted to watch the Big Ten Network, we can do that. It'd be the same for them being able to watch the Pac-12 Network. Is that correct?
1: That's exactly right.
2: What about social media? I know that you've been uh, good at utilizing social media channels to get word out. Uh, do you plan on pushing little video clips out on social media? How will you utilize so- social media to uh, promote your programming?
3: Well, social media will, it, it, it's not like we're going to use that as kind of an add on or just an ad hoc. I mean, social media will be social by design. Uh, if there is a particular in a in a younger audience, as we all know, people don't just watch sports anymore. They want to participate in sports, and and it's our job to make that happen. So, as I said earlier, we really truly believe that our growth is going to be on the digital side, but. Um, for a student or for a recent graduate that's interested in our programming, not only are they going to be able to watch it, but they're going to be able to participate with their fans and share experiences.
2: Gary Stevenson, the president of Pac-12 Enterprises, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Good luck with the launch on August 15th. Let's catch up soon.
3: Brian, I'm really impressed by how much you know about our network. You are totally plugged into what's going on in the sports world. Nice going.
2: Thanks. I'm excited to see the launch and see what you guys do with it when it goes live. So uh, I'll be watching.
0: Okay, thank you. Come visit us. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this.
2: or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of sports business radio the website is
0: sportsbusinessradio.com
2: all right we are back and i am pleased to be joined by former olympic gold medalist dominique dawes dominique how are you i am doing great thanks so much for taking the time to join us uh So the Olympics are coming up in London, and I watch these gymnasts, and I know that they spend so much time preparing for this big moment. When you were spending 18 years dedicating yourself to gymnastics, what would a typical day be like for you? Because I don't think many people know the sacrifices that the gymnastics uh, athletes are making.
4: Well, I don't know what these athletes are definitely doing, but I remember when I was younger, you'd wake up early, you'd train two hours in the morning, and then again, you would train about four or five hours at night, and you're doing that about six days a week. Um, I know they are preparing very uh, long hours in the gym for London, and I'm cheering for them every step of the way, and I I do envision that they're going to win gold.
2: Yeah, that'd be fantastic. I know that you're doing a variety of things uh, post-gymnastics career. One of them is you're a spokesperson for Hormel Natural Choice Raising Little Champions. Give us a little bit of information on uh, that program. I know you're trying to help people eat better.
4: I am. I've been focusing a lot on physical activity and nutrition and helping people live an overall healthy lifestyle, and I am very excited about teaming up with Hormel Natural Choice. Um, to promote the Raising Champions program and it's all about educating moms to better to feed their children more healthier foods. Hormel Natural Choice is a great line of deli meats that's all natural no preservatives and more importantly it tastes great and I love it and I understand the importance that parents not only mothers but fathers have on their young kids and it's important that their positive role model you know, when it comes to their their nutrition. So I think it's important that parents understand that their kids are modeling every single thing that they do and every single thing that they say. And if you want your kids to eat right, you got to make sure that you're a daily example of it.
2: Dominique, I'm a dad of a seven and a half year old and I just got her eating salad on a regular basis. So I'm feeling really good about that.
4: Oh, good. And so how were you able to do it? Like, did you make sure she was watching you eat healthy foods as well?
2: Yes, she was watching me eat healthy foods. And then a lot of it, I'll be honest with you, uh, it was the right salad dressing and some of the other things that you put on the salad. But it's still a very healthy salad when it's all said and done.
4: And that's good to hear. And that's a great first step. And you know, I've actually been traveling around for nearly 16 years giving motivational talks. And I always tell parents that the number one answer that, that I get from kids about who their role models are, it's not Tiger Woods, it's not Michael Jordan, it's not a, a celebrity out there, it's mom or dad. And so I think when parents really do recognize that they, they're the ones truly that are shaping their children, you know, we're going to be a little bit more conscious of, okay, what am I showing my child in regards to to the importance of physical activity and or good nutrition.
2: Olympic gold medalist Dominique Dawes is joining me. Dominique, I know you mentioned earlier you're part of the Let's Move initiative. So you're working closely with uh, the First Lady and the President's Council to help promote uh, healthy activity. Talk about that a little bit.
4: Yes, it's been an honor. For about two years, or about two years ago, the President appointed myself as well as Drew Brees. Uh, to be co-chair of the President's Council on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition. And with that role, we work closely with the First Lady to help promote the Let's Move initiative, which is all about combating childhood obesity. Today, we live in a day and and age with uh, one in three young kids are overweight or obese. And a lot of that has to do with living a sedentary lifestyle and eating unhealthy food. And so the fact that I get to work with the First Lady on a, on a cause that's so important and is shaping our young people to live healthier lifestyles and give, give them good habits while they're young that they can carry into their adult years uh, has been a highlight for me and definitely something I'm passionate about doing.
2: Yeah, it's really amazing. I mean, I've done some work around this type of thing, too. And uh, obesity is such a big epidemic in our country right now, and it has such a ripple effect with medical costs, with uh, people dying way too young. But uh, it's great to see you're out there doing this work because we're kind of in this uh, video game uh sit in front of a screen era and i remember when i was growing up you just came home from school you put your books down and you went out and played and you did healthy activity now kids are planting themselves in front of screens and that's not very healthy for them you know
4: it's not very healthy but we are uh one of the one of the uh great jobs that i did with the first lady not too long ago is turning uh television or computer screen time into active time, and so it's great that a number of uh, companies in the industry of gaming have recognized there's a positive way that they can turn their games into something that's active and positive for kids, and so something like, and I'm not particularly promoting this, but a lot of people know about it, is Fit. You can do that as a young kid, and it's fun. It's, uh, it builds up your energy. It gets you physically active, and the cool thing about it, it can be a family affair, families are always looking for positive things to do to have good quality time together and what better way to do that than if you're playing games and video games already or in front of the computer screen to do something that's going to be using your body and it's going to be a lot more positive in the long run
2: dominique dawes is my guest former olympic gold medalist gymnast for people who haven't been an athlete in the olympics when you're Walking through for opening ceremonies when you're competing, what kind of a thrill is it? I'm sure it's unlike anything that we can imagine.
4: Well, you know, I will say this as an Olympic gymnast because the uh, because gymnastics usually starts in day one or day two, many of the gymnasts do not walk in the opening ceremonies. So I am very sad to say that at all three of my Olympic games, I was unable to to walk uh, with the other athletes. Uh, but I will be there in London this year. Uh, not necessarily walking, but I will be there as a part of the president's delegation, and I'll at least be able to sit and enjoy it from the stands. And uh, I'm sure I'll be uh, wishing I was out there, uh, but it'll be a highlight for me. But it, I really do think that an athlete that gets to march out in the opening ceremonies or even the closing ceremonies, which I never did as well, Um, that they recognize that the Olympics isn't just about them, that it's bigger than themselves. It's not about just their one sport or their one team or them striving for that one gold medal, but it's really about uniting the world, and that's what makes it so special.
2: Dominique, when you were competing, you know, you've spent all this time practicing and getting ready for these big moments in the Olympics. How stressful is that? Because I've said, you know, whether you're sitting over a putt like Tiger Woods or you're hitting free throws at the end of the game, I think being an Olympic competitor is more stressful than any of those other moments.
4: You know, I think if you do stress over it and you think about it, and I was talking to a friend about this not too long ago, uh, but for my my second Olympic Games, which was the one that I had the, the most amount of pressure, it took 13 years to get to that one opportunity. And I knew that I had four minutes out there to prove uh, to the world, to the judges, to everyone uh, that I deserved to be there and that I could win a gold medal. And so if you look at it, that you have this short period of time that you've been dedicating much of your childhood to, it's very, very overwhelming. And so the thing is, my coaches, everyone around me helped me put things in perspective. And it was really about enjoying the moment one day at a time and just, you know, enjoying it. It's something that I had dreamt about since I was about 11 years old and started setting my sights on it. And it's, it should be enjoyed. Uh, though, again, it is a business, um, especially a lot of these athletes are professional athletes and they understand, uh, that it's their opportunity to capitalize, um, off of their talent. And so, uh, I do know that they're probably doing a lot of uh, mental training to calm themselves down, to get focused, which is what I did, and just really trying to um, have fun and enjoy the moment. It's not easy to do, um, but it's something these athletes uh, understand will make or break uh, their opportunity, which is once in a lifetime.
2: You're an Olympic legend now. Uh, What is it about gymnastics that resonates so fondly with people? It's it's always one of the highest rated uh, events that are on TV during the Olympics. Uh, where does gymnastics rate and everything? Well, it resonates with viewers. Why do you think it resonates as as loudly as it does with the audience? Because it's always one of the must see TV events during the uh, Olympics.
4: It, it is, and unfortunately, it's only during the Olympic years. Um, but I would have to say because what gymnasts are doing is something that the average person could not even fathom to do, fathom doing. Uh, we do it, and we, we do it with ease. We make it look like it's something simple. Uh, but I think people can recognize um, how difficult the sport is. And I always tell people that I believe gymnasts, female and, and I think more so male gymnasts, pound for pound are the toughest athletes out there. Um, throughout my life, I've known a number of professional athletes. I always get a kick out of conditioning with them because there's so many conditioning moves that... I can do that they can't even move their body in the (laughs) proper position to do, or flexibility moves for that matter. And It's always funny to watch, and they're like the top professional athletes out there, and they struggle doing some of the conditioning moves that I've done since I was 10 years old. And So I think it's such a popular sport because it's amazing what these young girls and what these young guys are doing.
2: Before I let you go, uh, where can people go to learn more information about Hormel Natural Choice Raising Little Champions?
4: Well, I would just tell people to go to their their local grocery store and pick up the Hormone Natural Choice product line. Um, Like I said earlier, the deli meats are definitely my favorite. They're no preservatives, all natural, and it's a healthy way to feed your children and to fuel your children, not only for maybe their gymnastics practice but for their long days in school or if they're training and they're a musician. Whatever it is, they need healthy energy. It was something that I focused on when I was a young athlete. It wasn't just about training in the gym the uh five to seven hours a day it wasn't just about mental toughness it was also about how i was fueling my body and i do believe hormone natural choice is the best way to go
2: dominique dawes former olympic gold medalist gymnast uh i watched you and admired your career and uh keep up the good work i'm glad you're out there uh promoting healthy lifestyle and uh, i really appreciate you making the time to join me
0: Thank you. I appreciate it as well. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back.
2: It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter, and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, Coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything Is On the Record, visit us online at EverythingIsOnTheRecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EverythingIsOnTheRecord.com.
0: This is Sports Business Radio.
2: All right, we are back. And I will be joined uh, momentarily by Damian Lillard, the point guard of the Portland Trailblazers. He was the number six pick out of Weber State in the recent NBA draft. Damian Lillard joins me now. Damian, how are you?
5: I'm good. How
2: you doing? Good. Thanks for taking the time to join me. I really appreciate it. All right, no
6: problem, man. Thanks for having me.
2: Hey, I loved your License to Lillard videos that you did leading up to the draft. I thought it was great storytelling, really showed your personality. Uh, what kind of a role did you have in producing those?
6: Uh, well, it was really like the, the people that I worked with, uh, with the agency that I signed
5: with. and uh, Once I got to know them pretty well, they thought it would be nice for me to let the fans know and a lot of the um, basketball fans in general get a better look at who I was as a person and um, all of the hard work that went into giving me the chance that I had to be drafted and uh, it was more about that just opening up to the fans
2: Yeah, you were working out hard in those. I watched some of your workouts and I was like wow, this guy uh, has a great work ethic. I liked your work on the beach and uh, I just thought it was great
5: Yeah, I mean it was that's how I've always been. Um, I've always been that underdog, that overlooked guy. And um, a lot of people say they had to, the, you know, the toughest road, or the, you know, they had to work harder and was overlooked. But that's really my life story. Um, starting from where I came from, um, I've always been that under the radar guy. And you know, that hard work is what got me over the top. I and mean, now it's time to take it up another level.
2: Yeah, Damien, talk about that. It seems like you play with a chip on your shoulders. Well, you should. You were a two-star two, sp- two star prospect out of high school. People said you didn't face big enough time competition at Weber State. They doubted you leading up to the draft, but lo and behold, you're the number 6 pick by the Blazers in the draft. Maybe just talking about constantly having to prove your critics wrong.
5: Yeah, uh... When you have so many doubters and people, you know, have a knock on you every single time. You know, you have a little bit of success. Um, it just keeps you motivated. You know, it's more wood on the fire, as I like to say. And you know, that's that's where I thrive under. You know, that type of that type of uh, environment where I have people doubting me, people don't think I belong, and you know, that's that's when I'm at my best. So um, it's another one of those situations now where some people feel like. They don't know how well I adjusted NBA in the game because I played in the big sky, but I'm confident enough to know that I'll be
2: fine. Damian Lillard, point guard of the Portland Trailblazers, is joining me. Uh, as a boy, you learned how to play basketball at your grandmother's house. There was a tree there that helped you perfect your shot. Tell me that story.
5: Um, it was I wasn't old enough to go to the park there in the corner by myself because I grew up in a dangerous area, and... Um, my cousins weren't around it was a tree and in the front yard and it was shaped like a basketball hoop and um i would go out there and i would just shoot on it i would shoot on it all day and sometimes me and my cousins would play a whole game on it like it was a real court and um you know they cut the tree down and then uh my grandpa he started to bring home milk crates and uh the guy next door would cut out the milk crates and nail them up on the telephone pole, and then I started to shoot on the crates on the telephone pole, and you know I just went from there.
2: So how old were you before you uh, were able to start shooting on a on a regular basket? I bet by that time your shot was pretty darn accurate.
5: Yeah, I mean it was when I got to about the sixth grade, my shot was better than most kids my age, just because I was used to not having a backboard and shooting in a square hoop and, you know what I mean, with a messed up ball. So once I got in a good gym and on, you know, real court, it was like, man. You know, I, I had played in normal gyms, but it was like I would be in a, on a team and I would play, like, on a Saturday one game, and then I would be right back to my milk crate on my tree. So, <laughs> um, you know, it was just good to finally – Get in the gym all the time and always have access to one, and um, I think I just appreciated it more.
0: Yeah, I bet. So
2: now, when you get to go to the Blazer practice facility whenever you want and shoot baskets, uh, you probably have an appreciation that some other people may not.
5: Yeah, I actually stopped by there last night. Um, after we got done with everything, I went over last night and just shot around. Um, me and Myers just, you know, we just shot around, and it was, you know, you just. It's just one of those things that you appreciate more when it, because you you remember when it wasn't there. So,
2: Damian Lillard, point guard of the Portland Trailblazers, is joining me. Damian, your college coach said this about you. He said he's got impeccable character and impeccable values, and those things were from his parents. Tell me about your parents, Houston and Gina, and how they helped make you into the man that you are today.
5: Oh um, well, they just um, they were never too strict, and they were never too loose and they were always on me about uh, my grades um, how I treated people and um, if somebody do something wrong to you that don't mean you do something wrong back to them Um, and you be the person be the same person around everybody and uh, you know they just taught me simple stuff it wasn't it was nothing that they just went out of their way to to knock into me Uh, it was real simple and you know real laid back upbringing Um, but everything I needed to know I knew and um, I think just because of how they raised me, I was able to separate myself from people that, you know, were doing wrong things I knew right from wrong. And, you know, it was, I think, just having them there, you know, not too hard on me, but not, you know, letting me do whatever, uh, I think that really helped me.
2: Faith is also a big part of your life from what I understand. You've got a tattoo on your left arm. Tell us about that.
5: Um, Well, the tattoo on my arm is, Psalms 37, verse 1 through 6, and um, what it means to me is, you know, you have to believe in yourself and um, not let other people, you know, steer you in a different direction and, you know, just keep your faith in God and believe in God and, you know, everything will fall into place. And, you know, I've always been doubted and, you know, people have always tried to create doubt in my mind, so I felt like having that, I felt like it was significant to my story and uh, I felt like it was worthy of being on my body.
2: Your college coach also says you've got an old soul. He says he'd fit right in with those old NBA guys. It seems like the new wave of guys is me, 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 and what are you going to do, do for me? But Damien is just the opposite. Tell me about that because, you know, it seems like all the interviews I've seen with you, uh, you're such a good team player. You're a good locker room guy, and, and that's what this Blazer team so sorely needs. So I was so happy to see them uh, select you at number 6.
5: Um. Well, I, like I said, growing up, um, I had a lot of cousins, and they were all mostly older than me. And you know, all my boy cousins are um, 26 to 30 right now. And you know, I was always around them. So you know, just being around that level of maturity before you actually get there. Um, if you want to hang with those, with the big boys, you got to be able to behave yourself like a your big boy. So, um, just being around guys that were older than me all the time, and being with my dad. Uh, I kind of, you know, borrowed their their mindsets and their attitudes. Um, especially my dad, um, he's exactly like me quiet. Um, I say what I need to say and to get my point across. And uh, I'm a loyal kid, and you know I'm I'm always gonna be a high character person. Um, I don't change with with who's around me. Uh, I'm always myself. So uh, I think just having that foundation really made me into the person that I am.
2: Just a few minutes left with Damian Lillard, point guard of the Portland Blazers. When you went to dinner with Blazer owner Paul Allen with Neil O'Shea, the general manager, what was that conversation like? Because again, everything I read was they came away so impressed with you as a uh, high-character young man.
5: Um, It was just, you know, conversation. Uh, I think they just, they asked me questions, um, but it was it wasn't really basketball related. They just wanted to get to know me better as a person and um, I asked questions, and um, I thought we got to know each other pretty well. And <clears throat> they probably could tell that I was sincere in everything that I said. Um, I answered all of their questions; they answered all of my questions. And um, I think I came away from it knowing that you know we had a pretty good vibe at the dinner. And they got to know me pretty well and where my head was. So um, I, it went well.
2: Your birthday is on Sunday, 22 years old. Happy birthday early. You got any special plans for your birthday?
5: Um, I'll be playing my first summer league game, I think. Uh, nice. I'm so, I'm so I'm so excited to to actually be playing in the NBA and to be in the summer league and um, you know, everything that's come with this whole process. I'm so excited about it, man. That it overshadows my birthday. Man.
2: So that's a pretty good way to spend your birthday playing an NBA game, right? Yeah, it is. Last question for you. Uh, you're on Twitter, at Dame underscore Lillard. Uh, you like tweeting. I, I follow you, and uh, you've got some good things to say.
5: Yeah, um, I kind of like to use Twitter as a a way to give people that follow me something to think about. Sometimes I'll tweet just joking around, or I'll tweet some music lyrics, but I really like tweeting quotes. and i tweeted a lot of quotes that uh, people have shared with me, and sometimes I just find quotes that I really like that I feel like uh, some people can use to apply it to themselves, and i tweet it.
2: Well, Damien, I really appreciate you making the time. Best of luck to you with Summer League. Really looking forward to seeing you in the regular season in a Portland Trailblazer uniform. Uh, I think you're a terrific young man, and your future is bright. I appreciate you taking the time.
0: You. stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com podcasts blogs and more sbr will be right back sports business radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports brian berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner
2: of the NBA.
0: It is always a pleasure, Brian.
2: Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Folster. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian,
0: appreciate it. Glad to to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com. And subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And stay connected to the business side of sports. Only with Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio.
2: All right, joining me now on the phone is Stephen Jackson of the St. Louis Rams. Stephen, how are you?
6: I'm doing good. How are you?
2: Good. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
6: Oh, no problem. I'm glad to be a part of this, and thanks for having me.
2: So you just got back from London. I saw that you uh, tweeted out some pictures. You were there to promote the NFL game taking place between the Rams and the Patriots in October. How was that experience for you?
6: That was a great experience. The U.K. fan base is growing rapidly. They have a... uh, understanding of the game of football a lot more than I even assumed that they would. Uh, they follow football very closely via um, Sky Sports Affair in London or, you know, over the Internet. But it's amazing to see at the Pet rallies and at the press conferences the number of jerseys, you know, from all their favorite players and favorite teams that was representing it. But it was very exciting. You know, I can't wait.
2: And then I saw that you talked about architecture. If you go to your website at sj39.com, you're a big, uh, you appreciate fine architecture. Where did that come from?
6: Actually, in high school, I went to a school that was a trading school That not on top of our standard education. We learned to trade. And I studied drafting there. So I became an Auto, AutoCAD um, <clears throat> coordinator and learned how to use the software there, a technician. And from that, uh, my love for architecture grew, and I went on to Oregon State to continue my studies in the in the field. So, my love and appreciation of architecture goes way back to earlier years in, in life, where just being able to draw something and have it come to life is just amazing.
2: Who are some architects that you admire? Well, I have a, I have a, my appreciation
6: for now. Architecture is growing because now that I'm able to travel the world and see some architecture outside of not only the U.S. But also uh, Las Vegas, because you know we have a lot of replica things here, right? And <laughs> so it, 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 it's, it's been cool to see that um, certain certain things were where they became inspired by. But Frank Lloyd Wright is one of my favorites, and other other architectures. Um, I have one that's local um, that is just amazing as well. So it's not so much my appreciation on world-renowned kind of thing, but it's just the tedious scene, the hours, the accuracy, the, the creation, all of that is what I more have appreciation for.
2: St. Louis Rams running back Stephen Jackson is my guest. Stephen, I love following you on Twitter, at SJ39. Uh, I love following your travels. I loved the pictures of uh, Machu Picchu. Geez, I've always wanted to go there when I saw the pictures that you took there and posted on Twitter. Plus, you post some great behind-the-scenes video and and images. Uh, why are you so into Twitter?
6: I think social media is a great outlet um, for anybody, but especially Um, people that are in entertainment or in the public light, you're able to be more intimate and more close and personal with your fans. And you don't have to depend on certain outlets trying to um, get your message out. I I definitely believe in um, being able to speak for myself, define who I am, and also allow my fans to know how appreciative I am for their support. You know, it's it's been a great run so far, nine years. Uh, with St. Louis Rams and through it all, despite the highs and the lows, my fans have been consistently behind me. Their engagement with me, I think, is probably second to none to any other athlete. And, you know, they always ask for more, and I try to give them more.
2: Well, you do a great job. On your website, sj39.com, you've got a week in the life and you've got the off-season. Uh, films with episodes. I know you really like film. I've had Steve Nash on this show before and he's talked about post-career. He wants to get into the film industry and direct and produce. Is that something that you'd like to do post-career?
6: Absolutely. I've been able to be a part of a internship provided by the NFL called Hollywood Boot Camp and this internship, I learned everything from directing to lighting, from camera techniques to writing. Uh, and I have a comfort in front of the camera, but I also like to use my creativity behind the camera and put together something that is worth, a story worth telling and, and hopefully changing lives. And and if we're not changing lives, entertaining. So to just captivate an audience for an hour, two hours, it's just amazing. And it's, um, it's a lot of hard work, and I realized that and something that I really want to fully throw myself into once I um, transition to my post career.
2: Are you going to do any more episodes of A Week in the Life or the off season, so fans can kind of get that behind the scenes view of what you're doing uh, off the football field?
6: I would like to. It's just um, you just don't want you want everything to be fresh. You don't want it to become repetitive. I always want to. um, I like to be cutting edge a lot. So like the Week in the Life things, no athlete has done that. And we want to continue to do that. It, it was received really well. The fans continue to ask for it every offseason. Last offseason, we, we didn't do one. But this year, I mean, the cries are, are, are loud and clear, and I definitely want to put something together. But I'm not quite sure what angle I want to do it, but... It's something soon we'll we'll definitely treat our fans and give you guys something to have and to look forward to.
2: Saint Louis Rams running back Steven Jackson, former Oregon State Beaver, is my guest. Let's talk some football. Uh Jeff Fisher, new coach there in Saint Louis. I imagine you've met him and you've been training with him. Uh how do you like him so far?
6: He's amazing. He's he's amazing. I'm glad that we were able to get him for a second. I was nervous. I thought the Miami Dolphins might uh, hire him before us, but he decided to come to St. Louis, and ever since then, it's been a remarkable transition. Everything has gone smoothly, though. Coach staff he's put together uh, from the young men that he's uh, brought in to add to addition to our roster have been some string of success. So, you know, hopefully we can continue this and hopefully turn this, um, this winning, you know, turn us back into a winning franchise again. Because he has what it takes, and uh, I'm liking and and enjoying every bit of it so
2: far. You hear from other players that he's a very good communicator. He's kind of a player's coach. He lets you know where you stand. Has that been your experience with him so far?
6: So far, um, everything that you've heard and read about him has has been so far really accurate. He does a good job of communicating, like like, uh, what you said earlier. He's definitely a player's coach, but he has he, he he has this great ability to uh, still command and still um, earn and and respect and and some discipline as well. So he does a good job of allowing players to be who they are, but at the same time demanding of them and, and, and wanting them to be better.
2: What are your individual goals for this upcoming season?
6: First individual goal is to lead the NFL in rushing. And I can't do that without leaving the NFC uh, West, my division in rushing. And I believe we have some very competitive backs in my division alone. So I always look forward to being a lean rusher in our division and in the NFL outside of that. Continue to strive. Um, before I retire, I would like to be a part of the 10,000-yard rushing, 5,000-receiving club. And if I'm not mistaken, I think only four others are part of that elite club. So those are my two goals. Those are my two main goals. One is – A little bit more long term, but you know, keep at a good pace, continue to be steady, and continue to be just who I've been, the bell cow of the team. I feel I could achieve both.
2: Just a few minutes left with Steven Jackson, running back of the St. Louis Rams. Steven, the average career span of a football player in the NFL pretty short. I think it's only like 2.3 2.3 years, you've been able to remain in the league for a long time, especially at a position that's as rugged as running back. What have you done to train and keep your body fit so you've been able to have a career as lengthy as the one you've had so far?
6: The first thing is I've dedicated one of my rooms in my house to complete rehabilitation. So in that in that room, I have a cold tub, I have a hot tub, I have a, a hyperbaric tent where I sleep in at night and soon as the game's over or if I'm traveling for a game, I right away hop into, uh, into that room and start rehabbing myself and nursing myself back to health. That's the first thing, you know, I never take anything for granted. I try to maximize 24 hours each and every day that I have to make myself better, or keep myself at a, at a, um, a of health that I'm able to play week in and week out and put on a good show for everyone. So that's the first thing, and then I've changed my diet as of recently over the last two years. I realize as you get older, the pounds don't fall off as easy as you so, <laughs> I've, I've continued to adjust to the way my body is responding as I get older. But at the same time, I feel that um, I am actually a better runner because early in my career, I just depended on raw talent, my abilities. Now um, I have a combination of that, understanding how talented I am, but also having the the mental knowledge, the uh, capacity of knowing football inside and out. that I'm able to anticipate a lot faster than what I did earlier.
2: Tell me more about this this tent or this chamber that you get into. I've heard of some athletes using it, but describe it for us.
6: Well, it's basically something that it mimics like altitude of the Rocky Mountains. And what it does is help produces blood blood cells. And when you have your red blood cells and your white blood cells reproducing at a, at a faster rate, it allows you to, to heal uh, uh, faster. So... Typically, I don't feel better um, a week of a game until Thursday, and that's that's pretty standard. But sometimes, if you have a, like a rough game, if you've had a tough divisional foe, you might not feel better to Friday night. Saturday, you got to get ready to do it all, all over again Sunday. So, the earlier I can feel better week in and week out, and when I use that tent, I feel like that helps. It gives me an edge on top of the tubs. That I'm able to get a good week of practice, and I feel ready and prepared uh, for the next week.
2: Stephen, do you ever get a chance to catch up with the folks at uh, Oregon State? Do you still follow the football team and stay connected there?
6: I do. I actually had a chance to visit the campus last off season, and I went back the last spring to talk to the to the team and try to cheer them up, and you know, give a little pep, um, a little motivational speak to them. But uh, I'm very proud of what the university, especially where we come from. Uh, we don't have the luxurious um, history like other colleges, like especially guys there in Gainesville, but we take great pride in being blue-collar, and uh, we produce some great, some great pros.
2: Last thing I see on your uh, Twitter page, you're working with Rawlings and Football America. You're offering, uh, I guess, high school teams a chance to train with you. Uh,
0: what's that about?
6: Yeah, so Rawlings and Football America is doing this contest where Allowing kids to enroll and to possibly have a chance to meet meet me, have me come out, work out with their team and just uh, it just would be a, a great experience for them, not only for the, the winners, but uh, for people that's participating. They have actually have a chance I'm with some autograph things for myself as well. So Rawlings and Football America's doing a good job and they know my initiative. I like to be hands-on with my fans, and this just gives me another way to do it.
2: Well, you're doing a great job. Again, I think you're one of the more interesting athletes I've ever followed via Twitter and social media. Uh, I applaud you for your diverse interests off the field. I wish you nothing but the best of success this season in St. Louis, and I really appreciate you taking the time to join me.
0: Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio.
2: But you can com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with
0: Brian Berger.
2: Well thanks for checking us out this week. Thank you to Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports Gary Stevenson of the Pac-Twelve Network, former Olympic gymnast Dominique Dawes, Portland Trailblazers point guard Damian Lillard, and St. Louis Rams running back Steven Jackson. Or podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com or go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio, and you can download our podcast every week. We'd love it if you post a review of our podcast on iTunes. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter, and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com.